Good morning, everyone. I thought this morning uh, we would reflect on what is a really profound question. And it's the question, who is God? Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we come before you this day once again in gratitude for the gift of this time. And Father, we ask you this day for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you could reveal yourself to us anew this day. And we pray also, Lord, that we would open our minds and our hearts more deeply this day to your presence. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. This is a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. There was a period when I was a child for about probably 10 years, from probably the ages of 5 to 15, when my father worked third shift. And so every night when it was time for us, for the rest of the family to go to bed, my father would gather my sister and I and my mom And we would usually meet in the living room where we would pray together and then we would go off to our separate rooms and my father would pretty much come in, say goodnight to us. We would drift off to sleep and my father would go off to work. And, you know, eight hours later or so, we would wake up completely refreshed from a night's sleep, and my father would be coming home from work. And in the summer, in the summer times particularly, it was very difficult for my sister and I to remain quiet and calm in the morning. And on a good day, we would let my dad sleep till about noon. And so he wasn't really going to sleep until about eight o'clock in the morning. And in the summers, we were always so excited. We wanted to go to the pool, or we wanted to go to baseball practice, or we just wanted to go somewhere. And we would go in and wake our dad up. And every single time we'd wake him up, he would say yes to whatever we wanted. 
And there was times, though, if we were, if I was particularly at, at baseball practice, and if I was out in the field, and I would look over sometimes, and I would see my dad kind of on the sidelines. And sometimes I would see him sitting in, in a lawn chair, sort of, you know, rocking, <laughs> falling asleep. Or sometimes he would be literally just laid out on the, on the grass. No shame, and just falling asleep. And I have to admit, when I was young and I would see that from the baseball field, I used to think to myself, doesn't he want to watch me? Doesn't my dad care how I'm, I'm doing? And you know, at first, it didn't seem like love to me. It seemed actually the opposite. That he was disinterested. It would take me many years later to realize and to discover that actually my dad falling asleep during baseball practice was exactly what love looked like because it was a love that was poured out. And what happened to me was I needed to readjust my eyes and my heart so that I could see more deeply. Because I had this image and this idea of what love looked like. And before the reality of what love actually looked like, my ideas and my images were simply too small. And there's a very real, similar thing that we can say about God. We need to readjust not only our eyes, but our hearts. Because oftentimes our ideas and our images of who we think God is, is just simply too small. It's too narrow. Do you know why I chose that reading from Philippians, from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians that I read just a few moments ago? I chose that reading because it's absolutely ridiculous. Jesus, God, Paul says, emptied himself. He took the form of a slave. He was born in the likeness of men. He became obedient. God became obedient unto death. And not a natural death, but death on the cross. 
And isn't this what we see in Jesus' life? We read in the agony of the garden that Jesus withdrew from the crowd. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So who is God? He is utter vulnerability. You know, it's an interesting word. What does it mean to be vulnerable? Well, the dictionary has two definitions of what being vulnerable means. The first is someone who is vulnerable is capable of being physically wounded. And the second definition means that being vulnerable means being open to attack or damage. And these are some of the synonyms it gave for, for vulnerable. Weakness, defenseless, helpless, and exposed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be vulnerable. And what I'm saying is that this is exactly who God is. Was not Jesus weak? He has to have Simon of Cyrene help him carry his cross. Was not Jesus defenseless before Pilate, an earthly king, Jesus is silent. He makes no attempt to defend himself. Is not Jesus helpless? The soldiers clothed him in a purple cloak and they placed a crown of thorn on his head and insulted him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they mocked him and spit upon him. Is not Jesus exposed? He dies on the cross, naked, as if he were a criminal. Is God then not vulnerable? Is he not the perfect definition, the perfect icon of what vulnerability really is. And if that's true, 
then where is this angry God that so many people talk about? If this is true, where is this God who only likes certain people and hates other people that some people talk about? If this is true, where is this self-serving God who is checked out from our lives, who is disinterested in the lives of each one of us? The answer is that God doesn't exist. And Jesus Christ is the proof of that. And so, my sisters, do we perceive God in this way? With this extreme vulnerability? And I would say that because God is vulnerable, it makes Him accessible. You know, each person in their life probably has maybe a handful of really profound experiences or moments or encounters with God. You know, everyone has at least a few where we're very much aware of God's presence or where even maybe just for a moment, sort of the the clouds seem to part and we're, we're given this awareness or this, this experience of God's presence. And those are such precious moments because they're, they're rare. And I've had just a few of those experiences myself in my own life. But yet, do you know where for me, probably, the greatest experience of God I ever had in my life came in one of the most unexpected places, circumstances, and situations I could ever have imagined. It came at the death of my mother. It's about maybe seven years ago now. My mother was sick for a long time. And she was in a nursing home for probably about 15 years. And when her hour had come, we kind of knew beforehand. And so I was there, my sister was there, my dad was there. And I was there, anoint- I was just, it was my first year as a priest. And I was there anointing my mother, giving her the last rites, which was such a surreal experience. You know, here I am, a priest, her son. She who brought me into life, I'm preparing for eternal life. It's just an amazing experience. But as I'm saying the prayers, and my mother is, is literally dying, you know, on one level, obviously, we are all, my dad, my sister, and I, we're all sad, we're all crying. 
And after my mom had passed, there was probably in that room the deepest stillness and silence I've ever experienced in my life. It was totally beyond the manipulation of us or anything. The presence of God in that moment for me was so thick, it was unbelievable. And I remember when I was, when we were driving home, so we were actually all in different cars because we came from different places. It was about an hour, my, my father's house is about an hour away from the hospice where my mom died. I remember driving home, crying, of course, but filled with this incredible peace. And I almost felt like this is, I almost felt like, am I repressing something here? <laughs> the presence of God was so thick. And as I was thinking about, okay, in a few days, I have to do my mother's funeral. It's my first year as a priest. But never once did I think or have the thought, how am I going to celebrate my mom's funeral? What am I going to say? How am I going to have the strength for this? There was none of that. And the reason is, is because God is so vulnerable, so accessible, that he was carrying me with his grace. It's the only explanation. It's not because I'm strong, or I'm holy, or I'm special, it's none of those things. And, you know, I guess the question is, does God have to be like this? You know, many people believe that God is this distant figure who created everything and then sort of steps back from creation. In other words, he doesn't really get his hands dirty. He says, well, I'll let them sort of straighten it out. And if we think about it, God could be like this. There's no law in the universe that says God has to be concerned, that God has to be interested in his creation. However, God chooses and reveals himself to be very different. He chooses to be interested and concerned with his creation. And once again, Jesus is the proof. And the reality is, we couldn't come to this conclusion on our own. 
Our minds are way too small, are way too limited to ever think these things. This is what Jesus reveals to us. He has to reveal it to us. This is why he says, I am the light of the world. Without him, we are looking at everyone and everything in, in shadows, in black and white. And this is why I said in the beginning that when we talk about God, when we pray, when we think about God, we need to readjust not only our eyes, but our hearts. Because isn't it true, don't we oftentimes make God way too small? Do we ever perceive him as being vulnerable, as being accessible? So if this is the way God really is, then what about us? What are we like before God? You know, a great question that sometimes is asked in the context of spiritual direction is, what is God like when you pray? And I don't mean just necessarily reciting prayers, but what is God like when you take some time to just be with him? And another great question, just as important, is what are you like in prayer? What are you like in those moments of intimacy with God? Are you receptive? Are you engaged? Are you anxious? Are you afraid? You know, the issue, it's never a matter of God's absence or God's distance, but ours. We are the ones who are absent, who are distant. It is absolutely impossible for God to be distant. You know, it's no coincidence. Do you know what the first question in the Bible is? It's in Genesis chapter 3. And the question is posed by God to Adam and Eve. And the question is, where are you? Because they're running away from God. And God calls out to them, Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, do you think God lost sight of Adam and Eve 
they're playing hide-and-go-seek or something and Adam and Eve are winning. That question is meant to stop them in their tracks and to make them realize, where are you going? Why are you running away from me? It's a great question to ask ourselves. Where are you? You know, I know this from my own life. God appears, key word appears, the most distant when I'm not engaged, when I'm self-absorbed, when I'm preoccupied, and I'm anxious about many things. God appears distant because there's this wall of self-obsession that we have placed before God. This is why a healthy prayer life, a good prayer life, is not one that has great experiences of God, but one that imitates Jesus in his vulnerability. A holy person is not necessarily a person who has great experiences, but who has great vulnerability and accessibility to God. Your Mother Teresa spent 40 years of her life without any sensible experience or consolation from God, meaning every single day she prayed and felt nothing. She is a saint, not because of her experiences of God, though she had a few very profound ones, but she is a saint because her heart was wide open to the mysterious and oftentimes confusing ways of God. Hence, she was vulnerable before God. It's worthwhile asking ourselves this question. In our relationship with God, have we, like Jesus, emptied ourselves? Have we taken the form of a slave? Have we become obedient to the cross in our life and allowed it to form us? You know, it almost sounds repulsive. Who wants to empty themselves? Who wants to be a slave? Who wants to become obedient to the cross? On a natural level, that language is so repulsive. Yet, when, we're, when it's lived in and through Jesus, it's actually the path to freedom. Because it's the way Jesus goes before us. This is the difference, I believe, between mature discipleship and discipleship in its very beginning stages. You know, mature discipleship has God at the very center. 
Immature discipleship has God, but then also myself at the center. Mature discipleship says I choose God over my own ego, my own thoughts, my own feelings. Many people just want to take from God. They use God for what He can do for them. Give me this gift, give me this healing, give me this vocation, give me this spouse, give me this winning lottery ticket. Give me, give me, give me. And of course, we, can, we are called to ask God for the things we truly need. But sometimes we treat God like He's Santa Claus. Or He's like an item on my Amazon wish list. You want to know something very strange? Nobody is objectified more than God. Now, if you're, if you're hearing this and you think, this is me. The good news is, it's all of us. And it doesn't bother God in the least because he's used to this. This is, in a very real way, normal human behavior. But because he loves us, he doesn't want us just to remain normal. He wants to take us so much deeper and so far, far beyond what is just sort of our accepted human lot. Remember that instance in the Gospels when James and John come to Jesus? And this always cracks me up when I read it, but James and John come to Jesus and they say to him, you know, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to play along here. He says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Wise guys. <laughs> and what do they say? Jesus, we want to sit at your right and your left in your glory. In other words, we want everyone to know that we're your, we're your right-hand man. We want to experience the glory and the praise that belongs to you, God. And we want the whole world to know it, that we got it right. You ever see that emoji where um, someone puts their hand to their forehead? That cracks me up. And I always picture Jesus doing that when they say this. You know, they say, we want to sit at your right and your left. And I always picture Jesus going, <sighs> what does Jesus say to them then? He says, you don't know what you're asking. If you want to be great in my kingdom, if you want to be great in godly terms, you must become the servant. 
If you want to be first, you have to become the slave. And then Jesus reminds them, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. From that moment in the Gospels, we don't hear another word from Andrew and John. It's the ultimate, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) And it's a worthwhile question. If this is the way Jesus is, if he has come to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many, this is who and what we're called to be. That's it. So God is very used to our self-centeredness, to our preoccupation with ourselves. But he doesn't want us to remain there. You know, of course, God can and does heal us. He does give us gifts, and we should ask for them. We should always bring our needs to God. But do you know what the greatest gift of God is. The greatest gift of God is His very presence. When you are living a life aware of God's presence, and I don't mean on on just an emotional level where I feel God, but when there is deep within your heart an awareness of his presence, that he's guiding you, that he's present in your life, that you can communicate with him, that he's communicating with you. That is the greatest gift we can have because nothing can stop us. Nothing can harm us when we're living in and with his presence. And this is ultimately what we want, isn't it? It's ultimately what we need. And the amazing thing is, it's what we already have. The problem is, we're not aware of it, oftentimes because we're still full of ourselves. St. Anthony of the Desert once said, a person is praying when they are not aware that they are praying. Meaning, we know we're really praying when we're not sitting here with a mirror before us saying, how am I praying? What do I look like? Is God hearing me? But when that sort of self-obsession is gone, and it's just you and God, that is really prayer. And I think we can stretch that example out a little bit in saying that a Christian is truly living a Christian life, whether it's praying, whether it's serving, or whether it's just being with another person. When we're not even aware of ourselves doing these things, Because 
They are flowing from a heart that, like Jesus, is pure and available. And for that to happen, we have to become vulnerable before God. Amen.